Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money better. We look at the stock market and the reason it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand the details. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, that's your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you'd like to submit a question to the show, submit it to askpeggy.com, A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com. You'll find the box where you can submit your question. Then I'll get in contact with you and ask a few more details just to make sure I understand what's going on, and then I'll structure an answer that can be educational for our listeners. So do that if you'd like to participate in the show. I'd really love to hear from you. Let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update. And if you've listened to the show for a while, you know I promised some changes after the first of the year, and probably the biggest one is not focusing on stock market returns every single week. One, it's boring, and two, I think a very short-term perspective can kind of get lost in the noise, so instead I'm wanting to focus on other issues around the stock market and the economy, and then we look at the stock market itself in wider intervals. So today, I want to talk about what happened last week at the Davos World Economic Forum. Davos is a conference you've heard of if you listen to the business channel a lot. It talks about money. It talks about investing. It has the reputation of being kind of an elite group, and these are incredibly smart people, and they're from all over the world, but it's almost looked at as a pure business, pure focus, pure bottom line driven event. This year, that is not what happened at Davos. And I don't think it was the original intention of Davos to get that perception. The World Economic Forum was established in 1971. It's a not-for-profit foundation, and it's in Geneva, Switzerland. It's not supposed to be tied to any special interest groups. And it's trying to strive to demonstrate entrepreneurship in the global public interest while focusing on governance. And it says um, that moral and intellectual integrity is at the heart of everything it does. Now, I took that directly off its website, and I will provide a link to that both on the Ask Peggy Facebook page as well as the podcast information. So if you want to see more details about this, that's where you can look it up. Nevertheless, it has the reputation of being more just like stock market and economically driven. But this year, the number one focus of Davos was climate change. And you see it in the theme for the year, stakeholders for a cohesive and sustainable world. 
And by far the biggest concern raised at Davos this week is the impact that climate change is having on everything. You know, these themes are actually chosen far in advance, so the fires in Australia wouldn't have been a direct catalyst, but I'm sure it raised additional alarm bells that might not have rung had that not just happened. The good news is that the World Economic Forum has created a climate initiative and it's looking at climate leaders from all different industries, business leaders, looking for cost-effective solutions to get to a low-carbon, climate-resilient economy. So this is really good news for people who are worried about our planet, because when Davos is on board, you know you have the business world on board. And now climate issues aren't just really put into one camp of beliefs. It's becoming very widespread. It's becoming very persuasive and pervasive in what everyone's wanting to focus on. A very cool thing that they're trying to do is grow more trees. They're looking to plant and restore one trillion, with a T, trees trying to help biodiversity and fight climate change. So it's really neat that they're trying to work on this. They're also trying to provide one billion, with a B, people with better education skills and jobs by 2030 to help them transition from jobs and an economy that might be changing and they're trained in the old ways. Well, you can't take away someone's job and not give them a solution and have it really have any sort of traction. So by trying to help that many people come up with better jobs, better skills, better education for the new economy, there's a hope that it can really make a difference and that addressing climate change is now everybody's concern, not just necessarily the concern of one person. There were some additional issues that came up at Davos that were really interesting that I'd like to address as well. And the one that I thought was pretty cool and somewhat scary, if you've ever seen 2001 Space Odyssey, is the role of artificial intelligence. And there is a historian, his name is Yuval Harari, and he gave a talk at Davos talking about artificial intelligence and its potential benefits as well as its threats. You know, the ability to do surgery more effective by using artificial intelligence is already proving itself out. However, the historian warns that if the power falls, and this is a quote, into the hands of a 21st century Stalin, the result will be the worst totalitarian regime in human history. And we already have a number of applicants for the job of 21st century Stalin. So it's really a concern that artificial intelligence could be used in a way that would be very harmful for people. You know, they're saying specifically the danger is a digital dictator who monitors literally everything you do 
given how hard it is today to function in a world outside of technology. Other threats are upheaval in social and economic levels, as well as unprecedented inequality, not just between like social classes, but between countries, the country that has the technology having such a huge advantage over the country that does not have the technology, that it leads to all kinds of strange issues. The last thing from Davos I want to talk about today is what Angela Merkel said. You know, she is Germany's chancellor, and she's concerned that people don't talk to each other. She said even back in the Cold War, there were channels where people with opposing views would talk. It was stilted and it was tense, but they still talked. Today, she believes that people have a tendency to go inside their own bubble and only talk to people who agree with them. And as a result, we're not getting across the aisle dialogue, not just in American politics, because she's not American, she's German, but just completely across the globe, talking to people you don't agree with, respecting people you don't agree with. And she thinks it's one of the major issues we face today. I think it's a great note to end on because we need to listen to each other, we need to respect each other, and when we do that, we can change the world for good. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today's update is good news and bad news depending upon which half of the segment you listen to. So let's start with the good news. The good news is that this year, Social Security benefits are getting a raise, a 1.6% cost of living adjustment that recipients should start seeing this month, which is January of 2020. So that cost of living adjustment is tied to inflation. Just as a note, sometimes people have gotten upset in recent years when they've said Social Security hasn't gone up. That's because we've been in a period where there was virtually no inflation. And the only time Social Security benefits go up is when the actual definition, the, the, the definitional inflation rises. Remember that inflation is calculated without taking into account food and energy expenses. And that's a real shortcut, but it's the easiest way to understand why you may be paying more for gasoline, but inflation hasn't gone up and you haven't gotten a social security raise. But the 1.6 cost of living adjustment will help this year. It should do a really good job of offsetting nearly all of the true inflation people experienced, which was really coming in at two. Now, if you are paying into Social Security, the amount of your wages that's subject to Social Security tax has gone up from 132900 to 137700 So if you earn more than $137,000, then you'll see the amount of Social Security taken out of your check increase. Remember, this income cap level, I believe, is one of the easiest ways to shore up Social Security's viability. 
because when people are only paying into the system on the first $137,000 that they're earning, there's a lot of earned income out there being left on the table. Now, no one is talking about that right now but me, so that's not really legislative news. I'm just pointing out because we're actually talking about the cap in other contexts today, and it is an easy way to shore up the Social Security system. So that is a little bit of an adjustment, but it's not a lot. It's not a big raise. You won't see your um, costs go up a lot. The bigger change, however, is starting in 2020. When you reach full retirement age, the amount you can earn and not have a reduction in benefits is $48,600. Remember, if you work prior to reaching full retirement age and you're taking benefits, they reduce your benefits. But in your full retirement age, they've increased the amount you can earn that year to $48,600. I'm thinking that number is high enough that for a lot of the United States, that's going to help people out quite a bit. So that's the good news of the legislative update. You got a raise and you can earn more. The bad news is they're planning on tightening the criteria for Social Security disability. Now, qualifying for Social Security disability is already a trick. Fewer than four people out of every 10 actually who apply for it actually end up qualifying for it, and they're tightening it down to try to cause fewer people to qualify. What this new rule will change is the age at which you have to adapt and learn a new skill in order to qualify for benefits. Because remember, you have to be able, not be able to work at all to qualify for Social Security disability. Part of that has to do with whether or not you can be expected to learn a new career or a new skill and then work in that new job. Well, the cutoff for that used to be age 50. They've now raised it to age 55. And of course, the people who are opposed to it are up in arms. It seems like a really bad idea to me, but it seems like a bad idea more than me really having a lot of data to go in and, and give you as to what the actual outcome will be. So this means now if you're applying for Social Security Disability and you're under 55, you can be required to train to do a new job. You know, where I see this as problematic is when people have become disabled. They're not typically at their best physically, and when you're not at your best physically, you're never at your best mentally. And so trying to learn a new skill or a new job when you're in this situation seems to me to be putting a lot of pressure on those people. Nevertheless, I believe this rule is supposed to take place in June, and it seems like it's already gone through, so it looks like this is a thing. So if you are wanting to qualify for disability, the rules have shifted. There's a second proposal unrelated to this, and this is actually still in discussion, that wants to take the person's ability to not speak English out of the criteria of being able to find work. So it used to be that if you couldn't speak English, that was taken into account when you were trying to find a job and be able to do a skill. That's no longer wanting to be included 
that will create a lot of trouble for people who don't speak English as their first language well enough to successfully work in a new field. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see how that one plays out as well. That may go through. I don't know. I'll keep you in the loop. The last one is really kind of a shock, and, and I still don't think it's anything. I think it was just a comment to an interview, and I don't believe at the end of the day it, it will be acted on. But on an um, interview last week, on Wednesday, on CNBC, President Trump was being interviewed by anchor Joe Kernan. And if you watch the business channel, you know, he's a really big anchor that they have. And they were trying to um, come up with ways of generating revenue for the country. And he said, um, President Trump said, we're going to have tremendous gro growth next year. Towards the end of the year, the growth is going to be incredible. And at that time, we'll take a look at cutting entitlements, cutting Social Security and Medicare. And the reason President Trump gave for this was saying the entitlement is actually the easiest of all things to cut if you look because it's such a big percentage. And I'm going to go ahead and put the link to the article where I found this in as well so that you can see the direct quotes because I think that's important. Usually I'm paraphrasing, but when I'm trying to say what he's saying, and there were a couple of ellipses where there were words omitted, but it was obvious the intent, and I included those so it would make sense. So I want to encourage you to look at that. Well, um, the commentator Kernan said, you said you wouldn't do that. And President Trump said, we also have assets we never had. We never had growth like this. We never had a consumer that was taken in by different means over $10,000 a family. So because the economy is good, he is now saying that Social Security and Medicare is on the table to be cut. I will say what I've always said. I do not believe this is going to happen, but it's my job to report what's going on and potentially going on not to just commentate and say, oh, well, don't worry about it because I don't think it's an issue. I don't know for sure. I do think it's unusual. I'm really surprised it happened. And we'll just have to wait and see if anything comes up after this. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I'm sure some of you do not know that I have a blog. If you're interested in reading it, you can find it on askpeggy.com on one of the tabs that's at the top of the page. What I wanted to share with you today was a blog post that I actually just posted, and so I'm going to read it to you. I wrote this, and what the topic is is the new SECURE Act and the changes that that's made to IRA required minimum distributions. So the title is Stretch IRAs Snapped Back Under the SECURE Act. Savvy estate plans just lost a popular tool for managing the tax liability of inherited individual retirement accounts, IRAs. The SECURE Act, which became law at the end of 2019, changed many rules around retirement contributions and withdrawals. Prior to the Act's passage, when beneficiaries inherited an IRA, they had the ability to take their required annual distributions over their lifetime. If the beneficiaries were young, this stretched the tax-deferred growth for many years. 
Unfortunately, the ability to stretch an IRA was snapped back by the SECURE Act, leaving attorneys, CPAs, planners, and individuals scrambling. Under the new rules, the funds of an inherited IRA must be distributed within 10 years to most beneficiaries. For example, assume a grandmother left a $300,000 IRA to a 25-year-old granddaughter. Under the old rules, the granddaughter would be required to take a distribution each year that corresponded to her age. Formerly, the single life table required that beneficiaries age 25 divide the account balance by 58.2. As a result, the granddaughter's required minimum distribution would have been $300,000 divided by 58.2, or $5,154.64 each year, assuming no growth. Under the SECURE Act rules, the granddaughter would now need to take $30,000 each year if she divided the funds evenly over the required 10-year period. That's a big difference. Not everyone is subject to the new rules. A few categories of recipients called eligible designated beneficiaries are still allowed lifetime distributions. Spouses still have the ability to treat inherited IRAs as though they own the accounts themselves. Disabled beneficiaries qualify when they meet standards similar to those required to receive Social Security disability payments. Chronically ill beneficiaries are also eligible if they meet definitions of incapacitation, disability, or cognitive impairment similar to the restrictions in long-term care policies. Note that the definitions here have not been completely flushed out and the people making the determinations have not been set. Non-spouse beneficiaries who are not more than 10 years younger than the original account owner can take lifetime distributions. These individuals would not have the ability to greatly extend the original distribution schedule, so they are excluded. Minor children of the account holder can stretch an IRA until they are grown. Once they reach the age of majority, the 10-year rule takes effect. For everyone else, however, the stretch IRA is no longer an option. Our inheriting granddaughter doesn't qualify because the final exclusion only applies to children. Of course, if a beneficiary wants to take distributions that will empty the account in less than 10 years, that's fine. Also, unlike the old distribution schedule, the SECURE Act says the funds must be distributed in 10 years, but sets no rules as to the schedule. As a result, a beneficiary has flexibility and could postpone all distributions and withdraw the money in the last year. Of course, this strategy could create an income tax nightmare by introducing enough additional income to move the recipient into a higher bracket. Looking back at our earlier example, it's highly unlikely that the granddaughter who inherited the IRA is in a high tax bracket. If she took even distributions of the money, adding $30,000 each year, possibly she would stay in the same tax bracket, and likely she would move up only to the next level. However, if she waited until year 10 and withdrew the entire $300,000, assuming no growth, her nominal tax bracket would be 35%. She would have blown through the 10%, 12%, 22%, 24%, and 32% rates. She would find herself in the second highest tax bracket. That's not good planning. 
Scheduling distributions throughout the 10 years eliminates or at least lessens that issue. Even though the flexibility of distributions can be helpful to some beneficiaries, it also raises some serious estate planning issues. Certain trusts are designed to receive the distributions from inherited IRAs, but the rules can stipulate that the trust can only take the required amount. Because the SECURE Act does not demand any distributions until year 10, the trust may be mandated to take the withdrawal all at once. The cash inflow could bring about the same disastrous tax treatment discussed earlier. If you have established a trust to take distributions from an IRA, contact your estate attorney immediately. You may need to make some adjustments. Your specific situation will dictate solutions to the loss of the stretch individual retirement account. One potential strategy involves converting your traditional IRA to a Roth over time. Roth IRAs have required distributions, but they are income tax-free for beneficiaries if the account has been structured properly. If the owner of the account completes the conversion slowly, paying attention to tax brackets, then the tax implications each year are not too onerous. Other strategies may be possible too. It's common for financial articles to end with a disclosure discussing the importance of reviewing the information with your own financial professionals. In this case, that disclaimer is great advice. If you either have inherited an IRA or were planning to designate beneficiaries who would profit from a stretch IRA, talk to your financial team. The rules have changed and you will need to create a plan to address them. You don't want to get snapped by taxes and penalties. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. Today's question is a really great question because it brings up an issue that a lot of people have never given a lot of thought to. The question is, Peggy, I recently heard that my target retirement date has a glide path and that I should pay attention to it. The problem is I don't know what it is. So remember that target retirement date funds are designed to become more conservative as you get older. So if you're very young in a target retirement date fund, your asset allocation is going to be pretty aggressive. As you get closer to age 65, the asset allocation becomes more conservative. And actually, a lot of target date funds continue to become even more conservative for another 10 or so years until finally they settle into a last asset allocation that doesn't change. So you're coming into a landing in your retirement, and the glide path is how steep of a trajectory you take. And we're coming in for a landing because that is where the term glide path comes from. When planes land, they come down on a glide path. When a target retirement date fund becomes less aggressive, that's called its glide path. The trick is that different target retirement date funds have different glide paths. Some of them come in fairly steeply. Some of them come in very gradually. Some of them may have no dissimilarity at all 
from funds of different dates, so that maybe the 2040 fund and the 2045 fund have exactly the same asset allocation. And then as that fund ages down, you'll begin to see it become more conservative. Eventually, there's a shift, but there isn't always. Why does this matter to you? It matters because if you're in a target date fund, you need to know the asset allocation and make sure that you like it, that it helps you meet your financial goals. You also should look to see how it becomes more conservative. Does its glide path help you meet your retirement goals as well? People don't pay attention to it, but it's very important and it's available in the prospectus and also probably from your financial advisor. Have a great week. We're all out of time. See you next time. Bye. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>